You're listening to episode 105 of the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. It's time to stop the excuses and go after what you want, and I'll be right here with you. Let's get it. Hello, you're listening to episode 105, Mental Health and Music, Chris Keats. I'm your host, Suze, a mindset and productivity coach helping music professionals get clear on their goals, priorities, and next steps, all while decreasing overwhelm and avoiding burnout. Today's episode is the third installment of our four-part series to highlight mental health in the music industry. Each week, I speak with a special guest to shine a light on various aspects of mental health and how we can all make greater effort to protect not only our own mental health, but also do our part to enact change within the industry. There are no sponsors for these episodes, nor are there downloadable extras. These episodes stand alone so we can focus on listening and reflecting as each week's call to action. The show notes of each episode have links to additional resources to get help and or learn better ways to manage your mental health. For today's episode, you can find all the rock sources, including links to learn more about our special guest by going to therockstaradvocate.com forward slash EP105. Today, we are speaking with folk singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist Chris Keats. Chris describes his music making as better than therapy. Inspired by his harmonica-playing grandfather, this Brighton-born 21st-century folk raconteur and world traveler writes songs to heal both his audience and himself. Following his mother's suicide, he promised himself he would work every single day to be a better guitarist, singer, songwriter, and human being, and he's never looked back. Citing Damien Rice, Ben Howard, and Neil Young as his major influences, he describes his songwriting as a natural process, turning his stream of consciousness into melodies. His music has been described as having a deep beauty to it, a simplicity that is poignant and has a reflective feel far from urban life. I reached out to Chris to be a part of the series as he has organized a number of charity concerts to spread awareness on important issues, including one for the Campaign Against Living Miserably, a suicide prevention charity, and Rise UK, a domestic abuse charity. He released a cover of Live Forever by Oasis for National Suicide Prevention Month in September of last year and Love is So Simple this past November for Rise UK. His latest single, The Real You, drops next Friday, May 28th, and this song of personal growth has a great story behind it that I'll let Chris tell you himself. So let's get started. Chris, thank you so much for being here with us today. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure. I'm so glad we got a chance to make this happen. You know, we followed each other for a bit of time on Instagram, and I love not only the music you put out, but the messaging that you put out with your music, and we're certainly going to dive into that today. So when I decided to do this Mental Health Awareness Month series, I was just so happy that you were willing to participate and say yes to it. I know there's a lot we can dig into here that our audience can learn from, so Thank you for all that you do with your advocacy. (laughs) You're very welcome, as are the people who are listening. We've got a lot to talk about, I think. Yeah, so I've told the people the usual, right? The bio, the, the usual nice and neat little packaging information about you. But what's something that you can tell our audience that maybe we won't find in your bio? What's something that our audience should know about you? Oh, that's a good question. I spent a long time writing that bio. I tell you what what my bio doesn't say is that my mental health, as we're on the subject of mental health, is the best it's been in my adult life. That isn't in my bio. And it's not really on my socials either, because I like to be honest about where I've been and, and the journey I've gone through. But that is something that I think it's important for people to know, because I've got so many more strategies than I had up until very recently. And I want to pass those on, you know. So yeah, that, oh, that is, I'm happy. That is, 
That is fantastic. I am so happy to hear that. And thank you for sharing that with our audience, because as I'm sure as we get into some of today's topics, it's good to know that there is a place that you can get to where you can say that with confidence. And that's wonderful. For people that are still in that place, I didn't know this place existed. I didn't know it was possible to go through some traumatic events and then deal with it and heal from it and then feel like the person I was supposed to be before it all happened. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I think it's really hard, especially if it's prolonged trauma or one thing after another. It's hard to even imagine that happiness doesn't have to be this one fleeting thing or it's not this idea that people talk about like, oh, I can actually experience it and feel it. And I think that that's really important because it's hard to trust that when you're not in it. That, that place exists. 100%. Like I used to look at people when they tell me that they were happy and I'd be like, how? What are you doing that I'm not doing? Because I seem to be doing all the things people tell me that are the right thing to do. I still don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. You know? Yeah, I totally resonate with that for sure. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners do too. I'm glad we have you here as a beacon of light and as somebody that can help illustrate for people. You can trust it. It's there. And to keep the faith there because you know, one of the things that your bio did say was that music for you is better than therapy. So (laughs) don't tell my therapists. (laughs) They might be listening. Yeah, but it it is though. Right. Well, because that's the thing, like I'm in therapy. I've been open about my journey through therapy. And I think it's great for people to have therapists. But I also know that for creatives, when there's a different way to express it and a different way to tap into your emotions and process them. That's a really great tool to have and to utilize. So can Mm. you dig a little deeper there for us and kind of talk about what music has meant to you and how it's helped you? So a good friend of mine died a few weeks ago and I hadn't been writing really. I've been so busy with the business. I was doing social media and trying to book gigs and playing live streams and doing that kind of stuff. I'm in a releasing phase, so I put that to one side. Um, And then when he died, I just needed it. I don't know how to explain it to you. I went and bought a new journal and I was like, I just need to write. And I just wrote song after song after song after song after song. And it just like reconnected me with the part of this business that I absolutely love and that I would do whether people heard it or not and I, and I think just to like see how I felt on a piece of paper like I'm not having therapy at the moment but I have friends who I can speak to if I need to but it's just such a beautiful cathartic thing to sit on my sofa and write a song about my friend who's died mm-hmm. and this time around I was focusing on the positive aspects of our relationship rather than on the pain and the grief which mm-hmm. is different. I think a lot of people feel like I need the pain or I need the bad parts in order to create And I think it's really great that you can find the happiness in it to create. Because that's what I used to think. And I think so many people think, like I've heard Taylor Swift say that. And she's like, people are like, what's going to happen if you're happy? And it's like, well, you just write different songs. And I didn't know that if I was happy or if I was in a better place, how I would be writing. But yeah, you don't have to write from the pain if you don't want to. Yeah. And do you write with the hope that it helps others do the same? Or do you just write for the sake of writing? Like, how do you approach creating songs? Because I've heard from other musicians the kind of struggle you know the pressure that people put on themselves especially when they've decided they want to make music their career that oh the thing that comes out has to be amazing or it has to do this or that I mean do you feel the pressure sometimes how do you grapple with that what's your approach to creating that's a good question because I've gone on a bit of a journey since making music a business in the last year or so since COVID and so I found that I was writing songs, thinking about the audience and thinking about how it was going to sound recorded and what people would think of it and how I would market it. 
And that doesn't work. It doesn't work for me anyway. I'm sure it works for other different types of artists. And then when my friend died, I was just writing from the heart. And I just had that little moment of being like, this is why I write. I write to heal myself. And then hopefully when the songs are released, they can then be marketed to people who have been through something similar. And we've all been through death and loss and grief to some extent. And when it's released, that's about helping other people. Or some of my songs have been written for other people that couldn't talk about how they felt. So it was kind of helping them by proxy, but I wasn't writing it to record it, to release it, to help other people, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. First, I have to say my condolences. I know what that's like, and I'm so sorry that you've had to go through that. And I'm glad that you've been able to find the joy and the happiness in the moments that you reflect on with your friend, because I I think that's really important. I think, as you said, we get sidetracked with all the grief Mm. that we only see the negatives or the sadness, but that, you know, focusing on the good points is just as important in the healing as the sadness. You mentioned with COVID and kind of focusing on the business aspect of your music, losing people is hard enough. And that definitely is a grief, obviously, in and of itself. But I think another grief that a lot of people have been experiencing is through this lockdown and through this pandemic and loss of their quote unquote, normal Mm. routine or lifestyle. You said you used this past year to really focus on the business and stuff. What has this last year been like for you in your career? What have you learned about your career as a musician in this past year? That's another very good question. What have I learned? (laughs) I mean, so many things. Before last April, I didn't really have a definition for what a strategy was. It was always about making the music and then releasing it. In hindsight, a slightly naive way, not thinking about my target audience, not thinking about who would listen to it, not thinking about marketing or promoting and having that mindset. Hopefully people that listen to this don't have, but like I've made it so people will listen to it. And I believe it's good so people will listen to it. That's how I used to think, you know, I was just naive, really. Turning my passion into a business you know before the pandemic I was able to work as a physio and make regular good money that I could then put into the music business and then not being able to do that as regularly or in the same way made you know the necessity it was like this has to work and certainly I've learned a lot about how business works in general not just the music business or industry but it certainly took the shine off the joy of just creating music you know yeah I think that's something that musicians grapple with a lot you know you need to know the business you go learn it but then as you said taking that shine off now there's more weight on this and that's why i asked you about in terms of creating i think if we let the overwhelm sink into that and make it feel like now that i have a strategy behind this these songs have to do a b or c for me i think that can kind of stunt people's writing and creativity and it sounds to me like now you might be at a spot where you've been able to just create for the sake of creating and you know strategies that you can pull from when you've got something you want to release and it doesn't have to be such a tug of war no, no, it yeah. doesn't. And it doesn't have to be so pressurized as well. You know, just generally we're very numbers focused. And it's like, well, if it doesn't make, I don't know, 5,000 plays in Spotify week one, then it's not a success. And it's like, well, actually the success is in writing the song, recording it, making the best you possibly can and then putting it out there. Like that's success mm. to me. But I'm also part of the human race as it is now with social media numbers and Spotify numbers and Spotify playlists and how many did we sell and what did we make, which I think is also really important and that's part of it. It's so funny in hindsight, it's like, right, I'll give myself this year to learn the business and then I'll go back to creating. And I've done both, you know. Yeah. I've created and I've written. Like, a song idea has come and I'd be like, no, 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 I've got all these other things to do that are on the to-do list that are part of the business, apart from part of the release plan. 
so I kind of like stunted the creativity because I decided to choose to focus more on the business. Uh, yeah, it's a precarious yeah. balance. Yeah, it's certainly not satisfying to me to try to do both as it was just to write songs on the board. That's yeah, when then- overwhelm comes in, you know, because it's like, well, how much work can I do? How many hours can I work? Right. And I commend you for using this year in that way to learn the business. What I hope our listeners remind themselves of too, because I I see so many go through this is there's so much to learn. And while a year is a great incubator to really get a lot of the foundational pieces set and to really open your eyes to the strategy and to everything that's out there, you're not going to be a master at business after one year of learning things, you know? (laughs) So now you're at the place where you've learned, like, I get the business and I get the strategy, but I see that throwing myself all in there has now stunted my creativity. All right, let me bring the creativity back. And now it's just going to be this experience of weaving them together and saying like, maybe I reach 5,000 streams, maybe I don't. What was the lesson there? And what can Mm -hmm. I learn? And I'm still proud of the song. And those songs are still going to live on past the initial launch. You know, a year from now, somebody else is going to find that song and say, oh my gosh, it's changed my life. This came to me at the right time. Thank you so much for this. So I love that you're sharing your process with us. And I'm curious when COVID hit and you said around April, you decided to really dig in to learn more about the business. Mm. What was that like for you? Because when something like that happens and we lose out on work or our normal day-to-day is no longer what it once looked like, do you find you're just somebody that makes the most of a situation or was it more of a struggle to get to that point when you were like, I'm going to learn the business? I always make the most of the time I have. So I I was quite happy in lockdown because I was Mm -hmm. doing what I love Apart from not playing live, I think I'm quite good at pivoting in hindsight. I was like, well, if I can't play live, I'm just going to get really good at live streams. I used to do like three or four live streams a week. You know, I was anxious before doing them because I wasn't used to doing it. I just made decisions. I was like, right, this year I'm going to learn the business. Because I wanted to put my music out there in a way that as many people as possible could listen to it and enjoy it. And for it to help other people, really. When I make decisions, I just don't look back if I'm really 150% in, you know. I was like, I'm going to learn the business. Boom, done. That's the plan. So I just took some calls and learn about social media marketing and release strategies and just dove in really. Yeah, and I think you've mentioned a few characteristics here that you have that I think others might miss at times is number one, you mentioned pivoting. I've always said, and I doubled down on it this past year, telling people pivoting is one of the best skill sets. And I do believe it is a skill set that you can have in any form of entrepreneurship, which this all is. Mm -hmm. Because whether it's a pandemic or it's something else that's happening in your personal life that you didn't plan for, or it's just doing something that you thought was a sure thing and you realized it wasn't, life is always going to throw hurdles in our path and i love that you took control of now i've been given time maybe touring or performing live was taken away but time was given so what can i do with it and i love that you mentioned pivoting and also just going all in and not looking at the past or what decisions were made it's like here's where i am and i'm just gonna go all in with it and show up really what you did is you showed up and i think that's fantastic so why get behind these important causes why not just focus on your merch and your live shows and your lyric videos and all of that. Yeah, I guess if I spent less time doing the charity stuff, I could focus more on those things. But these are things we don't talk about as a society in a way that is open and promotes healing between individuals and between societies and between countries. And I feel like the world would be a better place if we could acknowledge our trauma. And if we heal that, then the world
world would naturally be better or people would be more conscious. And if the world is more conscious, then the world is going to be a far more pleasant place to live in. After my mum died by suicide, I just didn't talk about it. She died in 2005, and I can honestly say between 2005 and 2007, I only thought about her consciously a handful of times. And I just immediately pushed it back into my subconscious, didn't think about it, didn't talk about it. Everyone knew how she died. It was, I think it was just like the denial part of grief. And so I just didn't talk about how I felt for a long time. And I can't remember when it happened, but I just realised I need to talk about this because there are artists that talk about suicide and domestic abuse and sexual abuse and these other things that are horrible to go through for one. And I was like, I want to be someone that stands up for what they believe in and talks about how they feel and... It's in the music anyway, so why not talk about it and make it a platform to gain attention for the charities that are doing amazing work that no one really knows about. Mm. It's just about me having felt so alone for so long and then me being like, right, my mum died by suicide. That was an awful traumatic experience, but it has brought me here and it has taught me a lot. And I want people to know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. I felt alone but I wasn't alone and I didn't know that and, you know with experiencing depression and anxiety it's like no one's alone and it can feel like you're really alone so if someone is alone and they put on one of my songs it's about domestic abuse or suicide and they feel better and they're like oh this guy's been through something that I'm going through and he seems although he struggled it's been very challenging he has got to the point now where he's he's at a place where he didn't realize he could be before mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's worth talking about. It's not particularly comfortable, but it is important that we talk about it. Thank you for sharing all of that and being so open about it, because I think a lot of people do feel alone. And what you were able to do is turn it into, well, if I'm feeling alone, I'm sure other people are feeling alone. Let's just talk about this and not feel so alone. But yeah. I think some people get so far into feeling alone that they feel, well, who cares? Or who wants to hear me talk about this? Or... I don't want to turn people off or I don't want to lose audience members that might feel uncomfortable. Or I've also heard people say, well, I'll do that once I have a platform. Yeah. You do have a platform. I think when people hear platform, they feel like it has to be a certain size or it has to mm. be a certain reach. And if you already have people following you, you have a platform. You have people that are listening and watching what you're doing. And going back to what you said before in terms of using the time you're given not waiting for, well, I'll do it when I reach this yeah. plateau or that plateau, you know, talking about it now because somebody's always listening and that yeah. person could need what you're saying right now. Yeah, exactly. It's really important. You know, someone might listen to this podcast in six months' time and be like, oh, right, Chris Keats used to lie on the sofa and think he was the only person on the planet. I really did this not that long ago. I don't know, maybe three years ago. I was like so alone and didn't have talk about how I felt. I thought I was the only person that felt as I felt. I try not to use the word depression too much these days, but like low mood or anxious or like my mm. life isn't going where I want it to go or I don't know what the solution is and I wasn't solution focused then. So there's a lot mm. of mindset shifting, but I just want people to know that even though they think they can't do it, in fact, they can do it if they meet the right people and have the right people in their lives. And I have coaches and get super involved in personal development and growth, which I did in the last year. Yeah, I wouldn't want anyone on the planet to have to lie on the sofa like I used to and think that they were the only person that was experiencing that. Thank you for sharing that. I resonate with that a lot. And I remember when my dad passed, really walking around with a large chip on my shoulder, like I was the only person in the world that ever lost a parent <laughs> and that nobody could possibly get what I'm going through and then pushing myself to show up at work. And then it was almost like everybody I knew lost a parent. Then all of a sudden I started talking about it and another coworker would say, I just went through that last year. Or another coworker would say, yep, I went through the same exact thing. And it was like, oh, wow, other people have 
experienced this or they know what I'm going through. And it's amazing as soon as you open yourself just a little bit to talking about it, how not alone you can feel is really amazing. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you have to be vulnerable, don't you? It was kind of all sitting in my subconscious for years, but I just got to the point where I can't not tell people how my mum died because it's, it's impacted my life more than I could ever explain to you in words or that songs could ever explain. Mm. And I'm not the only one that's experienced that, obviously, unfortunately. I was like, someone's yeah. got to do something. Someone's got to talk about this because no one's yeah. talked about it. You know, I have friends and family members who I've never talked to my mum since she died. Never. Mm. And then she dies twice. You know, I can't remember who said that. It's a rapper. I know it's Dr. Dre. We have to move our consciousness forward. And I think that involves talking about things that are very painful because only through talking about things that are very painful do you get the full extent of life somehow. Yeah, and I think when a death is rooted with mental health, whether it's suicide or it's any other sort of death that is connected to mental illness or any sort of situation, even if the person doesn't die, but they're suffering with it. There's some sort of stigma or inability to talk about it, but we can talk about a murder or somebody dying of cancer or Mm. people dying of all these other just as tragic situations, but people somehow feel there's more of a vocabulary to talk about it and less shame around it. And I think with suicide, you know, I don't know if you have found this as well, but so many people in in the family still not wanting to say the word or talk about this is what it was, or even just admit I'm angry or I feel this way about it, or I feel that way. And because it's very complicated. It's complex, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I think rather than just saying, oh, I feel sad, because when somebody dies of a heart attack, you know, it's, they're gone too soon, I'm sad. There's so much more complexity that I think people really struggle with it and rather just keep quiet. So I applaud you and I thank you for bringing awareness and being able to talk about your experience and bringing awareness to organizations that can help prevent people from going down that route because it is very complicated is the only word that comes to mind. It's yes. complex. You know, like when my mum died, I was sad, but I was also furious to a yes. point that, again, I can't explain the fury that I had inside me towards her for right. leaving me, you know? Mm-hmm. How, how do you articulate that with your friends who are 22 sitting around the table of the pub? Right. You know, we're not trained for that, are we? I had no experiences before that in my life to, although my grandmother died by suicide, I didn't have any strategies. Mm. It's not like we go to school and they're like, if this happens, you can do these 50 things. But you're going to have to be patient. It's going to take time and grief is a process. Like, no one teaches you that. So like my dad, my brother and I and everyone just got our heads down. We just got on with it. We just got on with it. I can't really talk for them. I took the joys and then I just accepted the pain. I was like, well, mum died by suicide. It's never going to get better. So I'll just get on with it. This is quite a long time ago, but I'm sure there's loads of people on this planet right now that are probably thinking of the same thing. I didn't deal with anything. I coped with it. And my coping strategy was to work and mm. be obsessive about music and about the guitar. Which, you know, also had joy in it because I love playing the guitar. But I had a counselor at the time who I still speak to now every week. And she asked me once, she's like, oh, you're playing the guitar a lot. She thought I was like processing my pain and going through it. And I was like, no, I, I just want to be better at the guitar <laughs> and she, I remember it and like, we talk about it now it was in 2007 and she was literally like oh I was like I just want to be better at it. I just want to be amazing it was like being a kid even though I was 24 I was just a kid because my ability to you know understand or process my emotions was that like a five-year-old kid I was like I just want to be better <laughs> she was like we've got some work to do Christine <laughs> and then at the time I was like no I'm fine it must be hard being a counsellor or a therapist. She must be like, you're, definitely, you're not fine. But how do I tell you you're not fine without you having a breakdown, which happened anyway right. later on? Do you know what I mean? It's a fine balance between coping and then crashing. 
And as you said, you know, music is your therapy. And whether you told yourself it was there to get better at your craft or whether it was your body's way to process trauma, either way, you were utilizing it, you know? Yeah, I only realized recently I was talking to the girl I'm seeing, actually. And I was saying to her, like, I never wanted to be a songwriter. I never wanted to write poems. I didn't care about that. All I wanted to do was play the guitar like Eric Clapton. Interesting. (laughs) Isn't it though? Before my mum died, I was obsessed with music anyway because my parents and my brother, my house was always full of music. So I was always obsessed with the guitar. But yeah, once she died, I remember writing a song called Keep On Keeping On in 2006. It's the first song I ever wrote and I can't really remember how it goes. It was just lyrics at the time. But I started writing songs because I had to, not Mm -hmm. because I necessarily wanted to. I didn't want to be a songwriter. I didn't want to be a singer. I just wanted to play the guitar as fast as possible. That's amazing. It's just so interesting, isn't it? If I only could go back and speak to that 23-year-old boy slash man. There are so many strategies out there. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's different. You've got to use social media in in a way that's useful for you. But there's lots of information on Instagram and Facebook, particularly Instagram, that comes up about self-care, about loving yourself, about doing what makes you happy, about avoiding people that bring your energy levels down. Yeah. It's a tool, isn't it, social media? And if it's used in the right way, like any tool, then it can be very, very beneficial. Well, and I think what I've learned from this conversation, too, is that, you know, there are tools for coping. There are tools for strategies. There are tools for marketing. And when you have more tools in your toolbox, you know, life is always going to be hard, but it doesn't have to feel impossible. And tools help open our eyes. And I know that's what you're doing with your platform and what you're doing with your songs is opening people's eyes to these other tools and this bigger world that they probably have blinders on from. And that's why I think it's so important. And I'm so happy that we could sit here and have this conversation. And one of the things that I do want people to know, because they should be following you and should be getting in your community (laughs) to experience all this, because at the end of the day, you know, I think the biggest takeaway here is that no one's alone. I think are important conversations to have. And I thank you for being a part of that conversation and taking that conversation further. I would like to take the conversation to your upcoming new song that comes out on the 28th, which is next week for everybody. Um, it, it is. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's celebrate that. What can you tell us about your latest <laughs> song and what are you most excited about it? I thought you might ask this. So it's, it's a song I wrote in 2015 sitting at a table in a friend's house that I was sort of house-sitting for her. As I write songs and as I release them, I realise that there are multiple layers to the song. So, the, so the, the song is about the end of a relationship. It's about me sitting there with a piece of paper and my guitar being like, did I ever really know you? And then I was like, about the girl that I was with, did I ever really know you? And then I was like, do we ever know ourselves? Like, I, mm. I didn't really know who I was then, mm. and I don't know exactly who I am now and what I can become, but I know more than I did sort of six years ago. But then the chorus is talking about not being able to feel being loved by another person other than in fleeting moments, which is what happened, you know, during my childhood with my parents, and it happened in that relationship. And I was just looking back, and I was like, I don't really know what the feeling of being loved is. Mm. Like, physically, like I know that my parents love me and that my brother loves me and that my friends love me, but I couldn't like make that bridge to like, oh, they love me. Oh, well, now I feel loved by them. Mm. And, that, and that was just a case of having cut off my emotions. You know, if I cut off my emotions about my mum's death and, and other traumatic events. And I didn't even know at the time, but I know now, is that when you cut off one thing, you cut off everything. So you don't cut off the bad, you cut off the good and the indifferent and the in-between. And it was about me trying to work out, I guess, what was going on for me, really. You know, I, I yeah. don't know who you were. I don't know who I am. Where does that leave me? I've never really felt consistent love for people that are around me who I know love me <laughs> it's a pretty confusing place to be in 
Yeah. And what made you decide now was the time to release it? That's another good question. Just because now is my time. I was like, you know what? I, I was a different person when I recorded those songs. And when I wrote them, I was a different person. And I've come a very long way. And mm. I wasn't going to release them. I was going to have that as a project that happened in the past. Um, and I was going to record new songs in a different way with different producers. And I was like, no, no, no. People need to hear this because it was a period of my life. It was a period mm. of my life where I was confused, where I was in relationships with wrong people. I didn't know who I was, I didn't know what I wanted, or I didn't know, but I was basically too afraid to say I want to do this because mm. I was worried about other people's judgments. And I was like, well, I'm not in that place as much now, although I still am concerned about certain people's judgments, of course. But I was like, people need to hear this and I need to put this out for me. Yeah. Basically because I wanted to and I felt like it would help. If it helped one person, then it was worth all the work, all the hours, you know, the 12-hour days, the 17-hour days, it was worth it for one person. I love that. Yes. Well, I'm so thrilled to speak with an artist who has worked on processing not only their trauma, but their art as well. And who looks at something where, okay, you created this in 2015. And, you know, six years later, you're not that person. But that doesn't mean what you have to say. And what you said back then isn't worth sharing. And you've taken that and decided to share that with the world. The fact that even your link tree on your Instagram supporting Are You Okay Day that is later this year on September 10th. The fact that you talk about suicide prevention and support all these other great, amazing charities. Everything about you and your message is about not only improving your life and working on yourself, but helping others do the same. And I think that that is such an important thing for other artists to see and I thank you for coming on and sharing your experiences and your intention and your why behind why you do speak up and so I hope and I have no doubt that this has inspired other listeners to say okay why wait I've got something to I say so. I've got a light to shine let's do it yeah because I just want people to know that Chris Keats it's funny to talk about myself in the third person like I'm just a normal man you know yeah. I'm just a man just a normal man, a normal human being. I'm not special. I'm not different. I'm just driven. I'm just hungry and I want to change me and the world as much as I can for at some day I'm not here anymore. Do you know what I mean? You know, like people are like, oh, you're so talented. I'm like, I'm not talented. I wasn't talented when I first started playing the guitar. I wasn't talented for like the 20,000, 30,000 hours I had practicing the guitar and practicing my singing. Like, oh, you're such a good singer. I don't know if I'm a good singer, but if people like it, it's because I've worked on my craft behind yeah. closed doors painfully for years, you know? <laughs> I never call people talented. Just, I think it's a bit disrespectful. Like, you're so talented. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm just <laughs> obsessive and driven. And I just won't take no for an answer. That's not talent. <laughs> That's a talent in and of itself. No, that's yeah, maybe yeah, maybe the obsession, the drive is a talent. I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not here to judge that really, but I just want people to know that I'm normal and that people can do yeah. what I've done. That's important, you know. Well, was- I have a feeling that they're all resonating with this in an unbelievable way. So, how can they continue to connect with you and be a part of this amazing community that you've started? Another very good question. You're full of very good questions. So you can follow me on Instagram, which is mm-hmm. Instagram.com slash Keats Official, which is K-E-A-T-S, like the English poet, official. My website is KeatsOfficial.com. And then my Spotify is Keats with a full stop. Great. Send me a message. 
I love that. All of those links will be available in our show notes. And for all of you listening, like I said, on the 28th, that's next Friday, his brand new single comes out. Please go pre-save it. Be a part of this important movement. And all the links to do that are in the show notes. Chris, thank you so much once again for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It's a privilege. It really is a privilege to talk openly about mental health and healing when so many feel silenced and ignored. I want to thank Chris again for being so open to continuing to spotlight this conversation and for using his platform and his music to help inspire healing and change. If you take one thing from this episode, let it be the reminder that you are not alone. I've left links to various hotlines and organizations who are ready and willing to listen in the show notes page, therockstaradvocate.com forward slash EP105, as well as all the links and information for connecting with Chris and joining his music community. Also be sure to check out and support his latest single coming out next Friday on May 28th, The Real You. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me here next week as we wrap up our series of interviews for Mental Health Awareness Month. Be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice so you don't miss it. Until next time, Rockstar, keep planning, keep learning, and I hope to see you back here next week so we can get grounded to get rising. Take care.